So, yeah, go ahead and open your Bibles this morning if you want. We will be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 17. Uh, you can also put a finger in Psalm 118, and I'll share a couple of the other verses with you as we go. So our message out of 1 Peter is a message about, surprisingly enough, a building project today in, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, and it's fitting, given our current realities, that we would have a message about a building project. Uh, and, and beyond just what is being built, there's questions that I want us to consider as we go today. And one is, what is God building in me right now? That we would wake up in a kind of a, a, a new start, you know, kind of a new start in January, and then we all kind of feel like we have a new start maybe in September as kids are heading back to school and new things are happening. That what, Lord, are you doing in me right now? But not just me, Lord, what are you doing in us? That as a part of the body of Christ, we all contribute to what is happening with South Everett Foursquare. Lord, what are you doing in us collectively as the body of Christ? And then, Lord, what are you doing beyond not just in me personally, not just with us as a congregation, but Lord, what are you doing beyond? What are you doing in our city? How do we need to be praying for things around us? Lord, what are you doing in our world? How do you want to use our lives collectively as the body to make an impact on those things? So as we think about building things, we want to think about, Lord, what are you building in me? What are you building in, in, in us? And what are you building in beyond? Uh, secondly, what threatens to derail what God is building? We need to think about those things, too. If God is building something in us, there's opposite, opposing forces that will try to derail what God is building in us. So what are the things that are derailing me? What are the things that might derail us? What are the things that could derail the work of God in the community? Uh, and then finally, what are we doing about it to keep the building project on schedule? What will we do to combat the, the, the difficulties, the things that we face, to keep going in the right direction? Those are things that we want to be thinking about this morning. Hopefully I can keep these pages on the... Uh, <laughs> Where's that tape, Chris Norby? He had to take off. He had to go somewhere. Um, so at any rate, that's what we're thinking about this morning. So let's reveal what Peter has been talking about, what he's been building so far in this first chapter, because he is in the midst of a building project in the entire uh, persuasion that he lays out here in First Peter. And what we've been studying the last few weeks, it's important to remember, Peter proclaims to us that through his death, we have a fresh start with God. So we know who we are because of what Jesus did through his death. Through the resurrection of Jesus, we know that we are adopted into his family. So we know who we are and we know where we belong. We belong in his family. And then through his, his ascension and the outpouring of his Holy Spirit, we know that in our lives we will face opposition but we can face it with an unmatched confidence. That's important to remember. As he inspires us to go, we will go and we will run into opposition. We'll run into problems, things that, that stand in our way, but, but it's unmatched. Thanks, babe. Uh, there's an unmatched confidence in what he is doing in us and through us. And then finally, we know what we have in store, right? We know that there is an inheritance waiting for us. This is what Peter has been building for us. And in the light of what we talked about last week, what he shared in First Peter 14 through 25, we're encouraged that we know that there was a life that we used to live that we don't have to live in anymore. He's saying the way that you used to be, you don't have to be that way anymore. In light of everything that God has done for you, we can be different. But we know that letting go is hard. Letting go of the old life, the old way, isn't easy and it's a process. It's a process that involves some grieving. Letting go of the life that we used to live 
before we came to know Christ. There's grieving involved in that process. And I hope as we die daily to Jesus, even if we've known him since 1997 or before, that there are still things that he's working out in us. If there isn't a grieving process going on on in us on a regular basis in terms of what he's trying to work out of us, I would suggest there could be greater levels of engagement in our faith. That he wants to work things out in us. But be encouraged because it's a process. Grieving what we can't keep is a process. But it's temporary things that we're grieving, ultimately, is what he says. We're, We're grieving things that aren't ultimately going to matter in the long run. I'm walking with some people right now that are newer in their relationship with Jesus, and hopefully you are as well. Where, folks, this discipleship process that we walk in starts before the day that we give our lives to Jesus. It starts way before that. We have to know that we're walking with people in a relationship with God before they come to one. All right? So some of the things that I've heard people say as of late in my walking with them as they consider the ways of Jesus is that, uh, you know, I like Jesus. I'm just not quite ready to surrender everything to him yet. Okay, that's fine. Do we give space for people to be in that place where we're eager to win them to Christ, which is ultimately we want to see all come to know Christ. But are we okay with people that, that say, I like Jesus. I'm not sure if I'm ready to trust him yet. Can we walk with people in those spaces? There's someone else who said, I I wouldn't call myself a Christian quite yet, but neither would I say that I'm far from making that commitment soon. Do we have space to be with people in their grieving process of letting go of things? And then when they get a little closer, someone else recently has said, you know, I'm getting closer and Jesus has simply been an inconvenient reality for me. Right? And that's what gets revealed to us in 1 Peter 14, 1, 14 through 25, is that there used to be a way that you lived, but don't live that way anymore. And that's the inconvenient part is we know better now, right? We can still sin, we just won't enjoy it the same way because we're accountable for what we know. And this third person is saying, I'm getting more accountable for what I know and Jesus is quite inconvenient to my plan. That's honest. It's good that people are in these places and, and it's important that we be able to sit with them in those places the same way that God sits with us as I say, I'm not sure if I'm ready for that, Jesus. He says, okay, well, let me know. Right? This is a process that we work out. But once we've arrived in a place that we've worked through that part of our salvation with fear and trembling, there's a place of Holy Spirit-infused confidence when we understand who we are who our family is, and what we have in store waiting for us. When we understand those three things because of Jesus' death, his ascension, his resurrection, and his ascension, we can go forward with confidence. We can say, you know what? It's okay for me to risk it all because my reward in heaven is secure. My time, my money, my comfort, my reputation, I can risk all of that stuff because I know what awaits for me in heaven. And when I'm willing to risk those things... Even though they're precious, they're fading. Even though they're enticing, they're perishing commodities. These are things I can let go of to say, God, what would you have for those who, who know you even less? What would you, have those for those, what would you have for those that don't even know you at all? How are you going to use me and my life and my knowledge and experience of who you are to make a difference in the lives of other people? Amen? He goes on in the text that we studied today to say that we are a chosen people. We're his special possession. Those who have been snatched from the clutches of our own evil desires. That's who he says that we are. And now we reflect the love and the life of Christ in the same dark places that we used to wander around in. That's taking the stained glass off of the biblical text and saying we have been saved from much 
And we've been put in places where we can be used by God to save others from much. And it involves going back to those same dark places sometimes, just as different people with a different light. So he says, set your hope. As we build towards today's text, in previous texts, Peter says, set your hope beyond your current set of circumstances. Find something else to think about, to find joy in, than the thing that's obviously going to be trying to tear you down all the time. Set your hope on that and be holy. That's what we talked about. What kind of holy were we talking about last week? Not a stuffy or dusty or outdated or spooky kind of holiness. It's not that. It's being present in the midst of the mundane situations in life with people who are living quite mundane lives, but we're armed with a particular kind of hope. As Danessa was praying this week, she was saying, we got to remember that we're armed with a particular kind of hope. And people see hope, the hope of Christ, when they see us persevere through our sufferings and our trials. Oftentimes when we're going through hard times, that's when Jesus is using our lives the most to reflect who we are in the lives that don't know him yet. How do you do with this? How do you walk with him in this and still have hope? That proves God. God isn't proven on the, the easy days, right? He's proven on the hard days where only he comes through. And because of this pain and suffering that Jesus faithfully went through, what he faithfully endured on our behalf, he loved us deeply. He faithfully endured it so that we can come to him with hands open, fully accepting the call that he has put on our lives. And that's where we find the text today. So if you want to open, if you're already there, First Peter chapter 2, verse 4. This is everything that he's been building up into this moment. And so he says, in light of everything we've just talked about in verse 4, As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices. That's different than the kind of sacrifices that were offered in the Old Testament. They were animal sacrifices. We're still called to sacrifice, but we're making spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture, funny that Peter, who was writing the Bible, pretty sure he didn't know he was writing the Bible when he was writing it. While he was still writing it, he still referred to it. Because there was Scripture before Peter wrote. There was an Old Testament that the Jewish people who came to Jesus followed. He says, in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Verse 7, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now... You have received mercy. Amen? Amen. Peter is building upon this persuasion to the newest followers of Jesus in light of the... Hold on, wait. There we go. In, 
He's building upon something. He himself is building this upon this idea that the newest followers of Jesus spread all across Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. He's sharing this word with them to the newest followers in light of the birth that you have received in Christ as people who live out your lives with an uncommon and living hope. You should come to the living stone as living stones yourself. You should approach Jesus. Peter says that there's a rejected stone. However, this rejected stone has become the cornerstone. It's become the thing that God is using to build a new spiritual house. And that this stone will be a blessing or a curse depending on the way we choose to align our lives with the God who created us. Same stone, different outcomes, depending on our decisions. Isn't it interesting that God gives us our own choices to follow Him or not, but He will become to us either a blessing or a curse depending on the way that we align ourselves with Him. So this revelation that Peter is giving us, this is a progressive revelation. It it simply means that over time, God is always the same, but he's always showing us new things about who he is. It's being revealed over time. To revisit an idea we've entertained recently, we've been called to pursue God with our lives. And that's more than an academic exercise. It means going to new places and meeting new people and doing stuff. And that's uncomfortable. It's not super comfortable on a Thursday to find out that you can't meet where you thought you were going to be meeting on a Sunday. So you've got to go to new places. To get all that put together, you've got to meet new people. You've got to do new stuff. But through it, God is building something new in us. It's more than academic. We pursue God, and He tells us what we need on a need-to-know basis. Right? Back to what Richard shared with us. When he had something he couldn't share with his employees, they asked him a question. He said, none ya. Right? None ya business. So sometimes I go ask God, why are we meeting in the courtyard this week? None ya. Just do it. None ya business. Don't worry about it. Just follow me where I go as I reveal things to you. Same with everyone from Adam to Abraham to Peter and to Paul, that they would follow after God trusting him and so peter is doing showing us this progressive revelation he's going back to where we started he makes a number of old testament references proclamations and prophecies he references these things in the old testament on purpose because he wants the new followers of jesus to know that yahweh isn't some sort of religious startup experiment it's not like hey we got some new idea here that you can trust God beyond your circumstances. He's not saying, we came up with this in the back room. He urges believers to imagine the infinite God who created them as one who has been around forever, and to understand the plan that he has for them now was something that was set in place from the beginning of time. It's just up to us whether we choose to walk in it or not. So this rhetoric about cornerstones that we've read about, and rejected stones, and living stones, all these things that First Peter chapter 2 talks about, Peter wasn't making this stuff up on the fly. His words to the church scattered across Asia Minor were the tried and tested, spirit-inspired, inherent, infallible words of God. So important for us to understand that he was leaning on the living hope of who Jesus was. And so Peter, Peter builds this persuasion upon what had already been declared 700 years earlier in the Old Testament through the prophet Isaiah. 
in Isaiah, in chapter 28, verses 16 through 17, says this. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. This is what Peter draws back upon. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Hail will sweep away your refuge, the lie, and water will overflow your hiding place. Isaiah 28:16 and 17. Peter was referring to the things of old. So here in this text, what exactly is it that Isaiah is referring to in the 28th chapter of his prophecy? When he's talking to these people about this precious stone, he's making references to the leaders in the northern kingdom of Israel and the leaders of the southern kingdom of Judah. He was giving them an earful in the beginning of that text, given their unwillingness to trust God in the face of adversity. That's why he's talking about this rejection. That's why he's talking about this cornerstone. How precious it is, but how how devastating it is for us if we don't follow the plan that God has for our lives. So the question for us in our lives today as we follow Jesus is where are we looking when eminent crisis looms? This is something that God has been working on me even in the last few weeks. When things don't go according to my plan, what do I do? Do I go back and mope and moan and grope about the things that are not going the way that I'd hoped they would? Or do I remember that God bought me for a price and that I have a restored relationship with Him and that I can sit as a part of His family and that I have an inheritance kept for me? And because of those things, I can risk it all down here and stop complaining about stuff. Do you guys waste energy complaining? Oh my gosh! It's so hard to remember and it takes practice and He's patient with us. But I, I, So I complained about some things this week, but I'm really proud to say that when I found out that they told us that we couldn't have church on Sunday, on Thursday, when they told us we could have church, I didn't complain. I was like, Lord, this is your church, and if you want it to meet, you're going to figure it out. And then I went about my business. And he did it. So I'm getting better. I'm not perfect at it. I still complain about stuff. So Peter reminds us, of the words of the prophet Isaiah, trust the precious cornerstone beyond your circumstances. Let's trust him even though the builders have rejected him. This is the challenging part, right? That Peter isn't saying trust the one that everybody thinks is really popular and approves of. Trust him. That's easy, right? It's easy to get on the bandwagon with whatever, whatever culture says is right. In fact, there's moments where I wish there was things in culture that God would call right so I didn't have to deal with this feeling of rejection any longer, if we're just being honest, right? Wouldn't it be easier if God just said, all the things that we're standing in truth for, all that's fine. I'd be like, whew, now I can rely on myself again. But God says, stand with the one, just being honest, I'm just, just a real guy, as one is, who professionally has to stand for things that aren't popular in culture, sometimes wishes that God would just make those things okay, but, but he hasn't. He said there's a, there's a way to stand that leads to salvation. The road is wide and few will find it, so stay with it. Stay with me, the rejected stone. If they reject you, they rejected me also. If they hate you, it's because they hated me first. Ooh. I don't want to stand with the rejected stone. That's hard. 
But the Lord says, that's okay that it's hard, because remember, I redeemed you, I put you in a family, and I gave you an inheritance that you will not find here chasing the popular thing in culture. Okay. All right. These are the things we grapple with and that we work out. Psalm 118. If you're not there, go ahead and turn there. I'm going to find that here. I'm just going to read the whole thing because it applies. Peter went here too. He didn't just go to the prophet Isaiah. He went to the Psalms. Whatever it is that you're going through right now, just apply the truth of what you're about to hear to that. Let's just make this a part of our worship this morning. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, His love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His love endures forever. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. Right? The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. That's our children's pastor getting hit in the, in the face with some pies and buckets of water because she loves our kids. So if you see Brenda afterwards, give her some love, right? Because they memorize scripture, she's letting them, right? That's the screaming. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord I cut them down. They swarmed me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live. I will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give thanks for you have answered me. You have become my salvation. Verse 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done this to this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. Let us rejoice and be glad. The stone the builders has rejected has become the cornerstone. Isn't it interesting the context through which Peter draws this message? This deep resolve that's found in the heart of the psalmist to persevere through all circumstances and all trials. All of these things. As we read this with the challenges that we're facing right now in our lives in mind, what does it do for us? Maybe go back to read Psalm 118 again today in light of the trials that we're facing. What's it do for you? How does it inspire you? How does it change the way that you choose to take on the things that God has put in front of you? 
The first stone in a building project is the, ser- is the stone that determines the direction of the walls and establishes what is level for the building. That's an important stone that you put down. You have to put it down not only flush this way and that way so the walls go straight, but when you think horizontally, you got to make sure that it is plumb. It's flush. In fact, the four-square church, people say, what's four-square? It's a building term. Back in the 20s, they weren't using words like plumb or flush. They were using words like four-square, and it just meant solid for building on. So Jesus Christ is our Savior. He's our healer. He's our baptizer. He's our soon-and-coming king. Amy Simple McPherson said, if we can build on that kind of foundation of Savior, healer, baptizer, and soon-and-coming king, we have something solid to build on. Right? So the Lord is the one who is established as that. The Lord will replace, because he's rejected, he is rejected, but what is he replacing? He's replacing old and crooked, established religious ways that weren't working any longer. That's what he was replacing. In fact, he's building an entirely new temple made out of living stones. This was a temple that was like a temple temple built out of stones. But he's saying, I'm building something new in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm building something in you as living stones. Come to the living stone, the one who was rejected, the one who became alive. The only God that ever breathed oxygen has come alive. And be like Him. Come to Him. Because we've established this confidence that we can come to Him with all things. And align our lives with the one who has been rejected. So here's a question I was thinking about this week. What motivates a living stone to submit their independence in order to become of something that is much bigger than themselves? What motivates a person to do that? It's only the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we ask for more of the Spirit in us, it enables us to do things we couldn't ever do. And it's not a one-time ask. It's a daily, fill me again today with the power of your Holy Spirit. Fill me again today with the power of your Holy Spirit. And fill me again today with the power of your Holy Spirit. Because that is who we live and die with. Is the precious Holy Spirit. We die to ourselves and we live a new life in Christ for Him. What motivates somebody to do something like this? I was reading in Jeremiah this week, just as a part of my personal devotion, 12-17, through 17, basically says, Although we have sin in our lives and we have woundedness in our lives that is beyond repair. Jeremiah looks at these people and they said, you're a hot mess. I don't know if we can fix this. Your life is a train wreck. You have been so off base in your thinking and your behavior. This might be beyond repair. And then he says a couple other things, but in verse 17 he says, but you know what? In fact, God himself will heal and restore your wounds. They're beyond repair and he heals and restores your wounds. That's what motivates me to be a living stone, to lay my life down with the one true rejected king because I know that only he can fix what's wrong with me. In siding with the things of the world to say that I can fix my own mess, which is kind of the narrative of the day, nothing's wrong with me, nothing's broken. I don't want to do that because it can't fix me. Only Jesus can do these things. So I want to hear from a living stone and tell you the story of another one this morning. I'm going to invite Katie to come on up here because there's living stones in our midst. We could actually have all of everyone do this today, but we're finding ways to share our stories at different times. But when we think about living stones, we're people that go into the place where God has set us to do things. And, and Katie's been placed at a, at a school in Snohomish. It's kind of the last stop for kids that are having a hard time 
in, in traditional school models, and she's not content with just doing the nine to five and doing what she's supposed to do. She realizes even in a context where you can't speak about Jesus, you can bring the hope of Jesus, and she's going to tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Um, I work at AIM High School. I don't know if you guys are familiar with AIM, but it's the um, alternative high school. So um, most of the kids that I serve, well, we have a lot of kids. We have kids who are homeless. We have kids who come from uh, certain drug situations, whether it be their mom and dad or them themselves. Um, Kids who have been kicked out of Snohomish High School or Glacier Peak, depending on what they've done. Um, And this past year, so this is the third year I've been there, and this past year really struck me how... I think the first couple of years I was there, I was so overwhelmed with teaching again because getting back into teaching high schoolers is a lot of work. <laughs> um, and to remember all that science stuff was a lot. Um, yeah. So this year, I think I kind of reached a plateau of just understanding what I needed to do to teach, and I was a lot more engaged in the relationships with these students. Um, and I'm at a place... This particular school is a lot different than normal high schools because I have time to talk to the kids. I've worked in normal high schools, and I've had, you know, 150 to 200 kids, and I just don't have the time really to get to know the kids. But at this high school, we have, I think, about 125 kids. Um, so it's pretty it's – a, it's a good load. And um, I have the opportunity and the time to actually talk to the kids and get to know them. And this year was a real interesting year because there was – I was, I was thinking this morning about talking to you guys. There's probably five or six kids that I got to know at a real deep level. And, and I was really caught in this place of not being able to share the word of Christ with them because, you know, public school, your hands are really tied. And especially – and I don't know why this is – especially at alternative schools. We have a lot of social workers that come in, things like that, and it's very taboo. The word Jesus, the Bible, it really have a hard time with um, bringing that into the school. But um, I had five or six kids who I really got to know well, and it just... It just grieved me that they they didn't know Jesus. They don't. There's no hope, and and a lot of these kids have grown up in a culture where there's no hope at all. There's none presented, you know. And 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 honestly, the hope that they're given is the hope that the culture says, like, find your sexuality, find your your identity in whatever gender you decide you want to be, or what you know. The the culture's the hope is not. It's not hopeful. And I think a lot of them have reached that point where they're like, there's no hope here. So we had a lot of kids who were suicidal this year and um, in and out of um, the treat Fairfax treatment facility. And I just, my heart aches. They need they need to know the love of Christ. They need to know that hope because their, the hope they're presented is, is not it's not helping. Um, so there's actually a church that started to meet at our school, and it's a four-square church. Um, and I don't know the pastors personally, but this afternoon um, I'm going to meet the pastor that's running that church. And I'm hoping for, and you guys can pray for this, that there's some sort of relationship that can start to form. They've been meeting there for a little while, and so far the impression that they've given isn't the best. So you can pray that that's turn, the tide is turning. I think they're really loud in worship, and um, the neighbors have been complaining about that. Come on, we're a four-square church. We like to worship, right? Um, there is a Catholic church and a Lutheran church nearby, but they... I don't know. Anyway, so the the Foursquare Church has received complaints about how loud their worship is. And I think um, 
as a result, our, our um, administrator shares that with the staff, and the staff's like, oh, you know, what about this church? I don't know about that. So you can just pray for a couple of things. One, that there's a relationship, a good relationship that forms, and we can find a way for the church to to kind of make their way into our school, whatever that may look like, like offering free food or tutoring or what, I don't know right now what that looks like. Um, And also that the teachers I work with, because all of the teachers I work with are kind of like church. I don't think there's any, there's one other teacher who loves Jesus, but the rest of them don't have any interest at all. So um, just prayer that there's a softening in their hearts towards the church um, and that they the church can make make waves there so yeah yeah Amen. yeah thank you yeah hey lord we thank you for katie and for art and their family and the place that you have strategically placed them and lord that you sent katie there a couple of years ago to best school lord and uh and then you sent view church there just a year ago lord you're you're bringing all the pieces together and uh, we thank you that there's one church made of many living stones and that you are doing a work lord we pray that you would give them strength and patience and humility lord and the ability to put up with much that people might see the hope of christ that's alive in them uh, through their ability to put up with difficult things so we pray for that meeting today. Uh, Lord, we thank you for Kyle and Kara Veach and their pastoring of, of the View Church and the work that's going on there in Jesus' name. Amen. He brings things together in his time. Thank you, Katie. So good that people are out there. Um, David Alvareta wasn't able to make it this morning because he's working at the Lowe's down the road or the Home Depot or whatever it is. But I had lunch with him on Thursdays, one of our City Life students, and he just continues to talk more and more about what's going on at Walter Hall Park, and he just wants to see kids come to Jesus uh, through skateboarding and to raise up others to do the same. So we've been planning and talking about that, and he's like, you know, and this is the other thing. We want to talk about more about this and what our church is going to be doing more in the near future, like doing, doing. What does your church do besides get together on Sunday and sing? Good question, right? Every church needs to have something like that. And the relationship that we're forging with City Life is getting deeper and deeper and deeper. We met with their leadership this week. Uh, we're meeting with them again uh, in the very near future. Uh, but they they said, what if, what if everyone at South Everett Foursquare had one student that they could mentor? Just one. We could reach all of our city life kids with, you know, mentoring in the Bible, yeah, but just also in like how to brush your teeth every day and floss and make sure that you're paying your bills, right? Life. Walking alongside. So David and I were walking alongside each other eating fish and chips. I mean, you can go, you can, fish and chips is a part of discipleship. <laughs> Sitting right down at the, at the, at the Muckleteo White House Park. And just, he's like, bro, I, just, I don't even know. I want to be a leader and I don't, I just don't even know. How? 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 Right, And we just get to sit over time and figure those things out. So that's exciting. Um, David wants to do that. Christian is in Bangladesh right now. Uh, I keep pestering him and calling him and telling him we're praying for him. Uh, but the latest report is you know, that he sent me a message about 2 in the morning, which is in the afternoon over there. Uh, but he says, I've had a, a chance to meet with 100 different people in the refugee camps that he wasn't even sure last week he was going to be able to get into after he left. And so he's meeting with people that are working in the camp, people that are living in the camp, people that are suffering under persecution for their lives lives um, because of religious factions over there. He's getting to be the presence of Jesus in their lives. And he goes, it's amazing how God provides. So we've got Living Stones with David and with Bang- and, and with Christian in Bangladesh and with Katie in Snohomish. We are living stones. 
We're doing it. This is this isn't a hey church we got to do this because this is a church that does this. We're just grounding what we do back to the word. That's why we're doing what we do. The last part of First Peter. We're almost just going to read this. I'm going to make one closing point. First Peter two. Verses 11 through 17. In light of all that, that we are these living stones, we partner with the one who has been rejected because he never rejected us. That's why we partner with him. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. He continues to use this language. By the way, you don't have a place to live. You're a foreigner. You're an exile. You're always on the move. As those people, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Submit yourself to the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong. Remember the context. This is a Roman state five Roman provinces in which he is speaking to believers and how they should behave in a foreign state. And to commend those for doing right, who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Hmm. That has modern day implications, I believe. So the question becomes for us, how do we align ourselves with God's intended plan for our lives in the face of the opposition that seeks to discourage us from pursuing the plan? How do we stay aligned in the midst of conflict, in the midst of opposition? How do we get up every day and say, I will sacrifice, and the more I sacrifice, the more opposition will come? And a lot of times, the less we sacrifice, the easier things get in this life. That's a tactic of the enemy. We will be people who continue to press into the plan that God has for us, even though it will cost us. And we'll do it with a smile on our face, and people are like, why are you doing that still? Because he set me free. I'm not, I'm not playing with your money. Right? And my inheritance isn't here. I'm not part of this rat race. I'm a part of his kingdom. And we know that that cornerstone, if we align ourselves with it, even in the face of opposition, things will go well for us. If we choose a different path, things might go a different way. Isaiah wrote also in chapter 8 of his prophecy, The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. Not the things of this worth, this world, but of Him. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will become a stone that causes people to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, He will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Isaiah wrote to a people who longed for God's presence in their lives. But he also provides a sobering reminder that God's presence with us isn't as positive as we might think it would be if we're refusing to place our trust in Him. So we place our trust in Him, we go to places of opposition, and we see great things happen. 
So the weight of life can fall upon us. And when it does, it can feel like a bag of rocks. You ever felt like life just falls upon you and you've just been crushed under a pile of bricks? He says you don't have to get crushed under it. You don't have to be brought down because of it. Because in Christ, we're better than this bag of rocks. Right? We're better than that. So as Katie faces opposition this year, and she will. As Tyrone faces opposition this year, and he will. Right? As we walk with people and go up and go down, we remember who we are in Christ, what family he's put us in, and what we have waiting for us. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you that you would help us to imagine again what it is that you're doing in us. Lord, what it is that you're building in us. Lord, we pray that you would show us what it is that stands in opposition to what you're building. And we pray that you would give us wisdom to know how to navigate our way through. But we are confident in this, that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to the day of completion in Christ Jesus. We rest upon your word. It is our living hope. Lord, we thank you again for this place that we could meet, the space we could meet in today. Lord, we pray, we stop, we intercede and say, God, would you do a work here? Would you be hoped to kids who are hopeless here? Lord, this is, this is Tyrone's church. This is Casino Road Kids Ministries Church throughout the week. We're standing on it. May those kids be blessed. May you give Tyrone and Suzanne and may you give John Fleming and every other individual who comes out to serve. Would you give them wisdom to know? how to make a difference, or the way that you have called us to make a difference in this place. We hold our hands open, we approach you, and we say, God, we're ready for you to put the plan in our hands. And we trust you with the outcomes. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, Amen. Amen, church. Very good. Good to be with you this morning. So remember, um, next week, we're not, we're not here. We're at Mill Creek Foursquare. Everyone know where that's at? Off 164th across from the Walmart. 11.15 a.m. service starts. And we we really want to come as just uh, the power and the hope of the life of the gospel and what God's doing up here, that he would use us uh, to encourage Mill Creek as they encourage us, give us a little bit of respite, a little bit of break, that we encourage one another and build each other up. Amen? All right. Have a great week, church. See you soon. You've been listening to a podcast from South Everett Foursquare Church. For more information about us, please visit us online at www.southeverett.org.